This episode was sponsored by Critical Dice and the Endless Bag of Dice. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. We are talking this week about warlocks. Um, I kind of hoped this day would never come because I don't like warlocks. I'm very confused by them. I always have been, Jason. We have had so many conversations about the warlock class, and I still don't totally get it. Um, So it's a good thing we're having this discussion because chances are good if I feel this way. Lots of people are probably equally as confused about this class in (laughs) D&D. Yeah, and it is probably the most different class of all of them in that it breaks um, a lot of the standard conventions, at least in two or three places. So it's a little wild, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to think about it, and this is what I told you at the very beginning years ago. And you put it on a shirt, like you put I it did. on a t-shirt, literally. I did. So. I, warlocks, were <laughs> Eldridge, warlocks were Eldridge sugar babies. That's it. Like they don't have a deity per se they have a magical sugar daddy and i'm sorry if that's a little offensive or something but that's just what it is they don't have a mm, codified relationship with their higher power they have something more like a uh, a fling with them for a specific goal and purpose and so as a result the class is just kind of fuck wild so let's just talk a little bit about like the origins of the warlock um, and try to start this conversation by kind of establishing a good foundation of of why they started, where they started, um, kind of where some of that magic maybe seeps in from, just so that when we're we're thinking about building a warlock character that we can have a really good starting point. Yeah, so the real world inspiration for the warlock class in D&D 5th edition is Faust. if you've ever heard of a Faustian bargain or know that character from DC Comics, that's where it comes from. It's this idea of making a deal with the devil in exchange for something, classically for knowledge and worldly delights coming from uh, the Faust books that popped up in Germany in the 1580s, based on a real guy, apparently, uh, though uh, been, you know, dramatized uh, for the public. But yeah, so he, he basically meets the devil at a crossroads and makes a deal with him, getting unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasures. Um, so that's the origin of it. But in D&D, it's not just a deal with the devil. It is basically a deal with any kind of less than godly power out there that could be really anything like fey and hags and even some more weird and wild things from the far realms which is what D calls outer space it could be with a dragon it could be with just anything that's all that's almost god or deity tier uh in the worlds of D. So what's that, what's that line between like God or deity tier almost, right? Because it's not necessarily the ability to use magic because wizards and uh, sorcerers, all these people can use magic. Um, so like you couldn't choose another member of your party to no. be your patron. They, they uh, have to have sufficient power in order to lend some of it to you. 
letting you have a, a fraction of that power. If, if uh, someone is into My Hero Academia, All Might might be a good example where he's uber powerful and is uh, giving a letting a, a fraction of his power be borrowed by one of the students. Um, uh, you know, any kind of celestial could do it as well. Um, but I think a celestial like a unicorn probably isn't powerful enough, but a angel um, or a deva or something could probably do it. Mm -hmm. So it's just, they have to almost be BBEG, big bad evil guy, okay. tier bad guy, tier entity in order to do this, though not all patrons they're called are evil. So when you're talking about, you know, obviously the, the stereotype is meeting at a crossroads. Um, that, that could happen, right? But yes. like, I feel like there's gotta be other backstory options. Is it, is it something where like, you know, I'm, again, like I'm thinking like tieflings, right? Where maybe your parents made a deal mm -hmm. to get you or something like that, right? And Absolutely. so now you are like the firstborn child was the cost. I don't know, like how, how does that pact? How does that meeting, what are some ways you've seen that manifest in the past other than literally you're walking down a road and you come to a crossroads and there is a fiend yes. sitting on a suitcase in the middle of it saying like, hey, you want, you want to buy a watch? Like, yeah. what is, how does that happen? It turns out it was just three small fiends in a trench coat. Um, yeah, so basically, typically the patron is going to reach out due to some kind of circumstance maybe you're having that foxhole moment where you're going to die or you did die and you reach out just to anything out in the cosmos to avoid your fate and this patron responds perhaps you find a um an item uh like a sword or a lamp or something that is connected deeply with the patron and because of your possession of it they reach out and offer power um, maybe, oh, okay. yeah, maybe you, you are fixated on revenge for the barbarian hordes that destroyed your small village and they, this patron sees a weakness, sees a opportunity and reaches out. Um, maybe you find the altar of a forgotten uh, god like Cthulhu and now you're like the only person on the planet worshiping this sleeping uh, deity and so a portion of their subconscious reaches out that's kind of typically how it goes okay that makes sense because i was thinking like as as a character you would go seeking to form this pack but that's complete opposite right it's more of like the accidental class in it in the is. world where yeah. it's just this like momentary like oh you weren't expecting this, but now you can make a choice mm -hmm. right now in the heat of battle or in this moment. Um, right, where and that's how that's, it differs yeah. from, from clerics where there's a, a system, systemification, a, 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 there's, a, there's steps and procedures and, and uh, theology and dogma and rituals that go with it where the God has kind of set up the, the funnel as it were, and they don't have to think about it. And as long as you're, you're you know, doing the rites and you're worshiping the, the way that they, they ask you to, and you uphold the certain virtues and values, then this automatic transaction happens of conferring, you know, uh, cleric ability and, and divine magic. Whereas with a warlock, it's not codified. It's not a system. Every, every single time is different. 
and every bargain has different parameters. So right, yeah. actually, so I just thought of a at the time of this recording, at least, you know, in a couple of years, it won't be, but a very timely example of a warlock um, patron um, kind of combination, which is the Moon Knight. We just finished yes. watching the series. And that actually, I think, would be a really good way to illustrate that, like, someone shows up, it's just circumstantial that they're there and they're like, hey, I can save your life, but you mm -hmm. got to do something for me in return. And a lot of times that give and take is not, um, like, they agree to it, right? That character agrees to it, but it turns out to be almost potentially this living hell of sorts. Or it could be a very like, you know, like, hey, I get something, you get something, I'm okay with this. You know, we can split our ways at any time, kind of like also happens in that show. I'm not going to try to spoil anything, but that I think is a perfect modern day relevant example of how that relationship could work and illustrates what you were just describing of the patron initiates it. Yeah, because the circumstances are perfect. Yes, exactly. Kanshu and and uh, and Mark Spector in the the Disney you know miniseries for uh, uh, for Moon Knight. That's perfect. That's a great example. Right. In fact, um, I'm going to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just hit me. I was like, oh, there. That connects some dots for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that gives a lot of versatility to your character's background too, because, you know, if you're, if you're playing a cleric, like you're using the example of chances are really good that you were raised in the religion, right? You were raised in the church or, you know, something like that. Like maybe like you worked in there, you very rarely left. And so that, that could potentially pigeonhole your backstory. Whereas with this, you could have been doing anything at any time and then suddenly bam, you're a warlock, right? So it, it right. kind of broadens the scope of how your character can get started. Yeah, it really does. Um, and it, it's it's probably one of the easiest ones to multi-class into for narrative reasons that like actually makes sense if you start with something else like a wizard or a sorcerer, especially, or a fighter or, or what have you, uh, because their whole backstory is very narrative driven and it it just really dovetails into something like multi-classing really well right and we'll get into another reason why soon but you don't have to wait as long to reap the benefits of the warlock class which we'll talk about shortly um, but that's another reason i think that this would be a great candidate if you wanted to do it as a second class so you start with something different and then you multi-class into this at like level four for example potentially um you would be able to get those benefits a little bit quicker whereas a lot of things you have to wait till that third level warlock's a little different yeah exactly yeah again one of the many ways that the warlock just breaks the mold Right. So how, like, is there a specific way that that pact is sealed? It's, is it usually just like a verbal agreement? Is there any kind of spectacular um, the process that has to go into that? Is it really just up to the imagination of the player and the DM? Is there anything people need to know about that, like, process of accepting a pact with a deity? Um, in a way, um, everyone, like I said, each deal and each bargain is is different and unique. And typically, these beings will not have more than one warlock at a time. Um, so, in a way, like an avatar, but on a lower tier. But there is actually something in the mechanics of the game called a pact boon, which typically is a physical representation of that agreement um, and 
perhaps even in some cases, a conduit to communicate with that patron. And so sometimes it's just a benefit that's given. And sometimes it is a, like I said, it's kind of, it, it, it is the contract itself. As long as you wield this sword, you will be my warlock and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but uh, it can be flavored a million different ways just between the character and that and, and the DM. Okay. Um, so let's dive into creating a warlock. Let's look at our, our usual lineup of when you're, you know, rolling or taking your um, point by or standard array, however you're building your character. Let's look at where you should think about putting those numbers, why you should put them there, and then your fresh out of the gate warlock, what they start with. Yeah. So uh, quick build recommendations are Charisma is number one, since they are one of the many, many Charisma-based casters in 5e. Uh, and then after that, Constitution, um, I could also see things like Dexterity, since um, those characters typically are a little squishy, not as bad as like a wizard would be, but pretty squishy. Uh, charlatan backgrounds recommendation, which I find very funny. Um, and then uh, recommend the, 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 the cantrip that is like inextricably tied to Warlocks, which is Elder's Blast. Um, that is like, it's the most powerful, arguably the most powerful cantrip in the whole game. It, even the way it levels up is weird from the other ones as well. Uh, but it's, I mean, it, it, it's like, it's like the rogue has sneak attack, the warlock has Elder's Blast. And it would be very uncommon to see a warlock not use Elder's Blast, though I have seen it and I have done it. So, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but as they start out, they get a D8 for their hit points, uh, which is pretty good. Um, they get light armor and simple weapons. So there's a lot of things that can change that up. No tools and their saving throws are wisdom and charisma. And they can choose two skills from Arcana deception, history, makes sense, intimidation, investigation, nature, or religion. Um, and their starting equipment is either a light crossbow or a simple weapon, a component pouch or an arcane focus, scholar's pack or dungeoneering pack, then leather armor, another simple weapon, and two daggers. So, you know, a, a pretty good little, little starting kit there and a lot of stuff in there that kind of leans into the theme of, uh, of what a warlock is with, you know, the uh, simple weapons and arcane focus, dungeoneering packs, you know, letting them have uh, investigation um, and history and religion as, as class skills. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. And because of, again, that like history, I feel like as a player, you could potentially make an argument to your DM to swap some of these standard things out for very niche things that are related to how the pact was formed or what you were doing before you got mm -hmm. to this point, um, you know, to flavor that character a little bit more specifically, kind of the, that, that journey up to now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, a lot of that could come through your background and which bears repeating that the backgrounds listed in the player's handbook and other source books are just templates. And, and the very first thing it talks about in the player's handbook when it comes to background 
And the intention of the designers is that they thought people would just build their own backgrounds uh, and were kind of surprised when that didn't happen. And so they've provided a lot of other templates for people to choose from. But yeah, like a background is a really great way to uh, kind of build the character and its history like you were talking about uh, for something like this. So is the assumption if you're going level one, your, your level one character, level one warlock, let's say we're not multi-classing or talking about mm -hmm. that at this point, is the assumption that you're pretty new to this whole thing that like you would just happen to be exploring a random cave and like a stone almost fell on your head and the like patron saved you. Mm -hmm. And now you're like, I don't really know much about anything, uh, but I've got this quest I'm supposed to uphold now in return for being alive or whatever the situation is. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty common. Um, you know, if you think about like someone who picks fighter for their first level and they pick like full Kiro, they probably had like something kind of amazing happen in their hit character's history where they, you know, they saved their village from a flood or from attackers or something like that. And yeah, they're a fighter. They've got all the skills and things, but they haven't done a lot else since, and this is them going out into the world. And so the level of knowledge and the kind of relationship that a uh, warlock may have with their patron could be really nascent and also uh, poorly defined at this point. So yeah, so there's a lot of different directions that you can go. Makes sense. Um, the So that's all of this, the like scores um, and mm -hmm. the equipment that you will get and weapons that you will be assigned to or get at level one. But there is some other stuff that happens at level one as well that is very important to talk about. It is. So the Warlock is one of the few, and there's four classes that get their subclass before level three. Um, but it's further distinguished because they get their subclass in like two installments, as it were. <laughs> they choose at level one who their otherworldly patron is. So while we are going to talk about what does just a non-subclass warlock look like, you're never going to have a non-subclass warlock, not really, because it's so mm -hmm. integral to what the character is. Um, and then they get at that boon I talked about before, that kind of physical representation of the deal uh, at level three. So they kind of have a, a bifurcated or split subclass tiered system. Uh, but um, what they do get at level one is packed magic, which is another way that it breaks all the conventions because most of your classes in D&D get a feature called spell casting, which is not the same thing as packed magic. Um, and a lot of times that doesn't matter unless you're going to multi-class and then the spell slots received from packed magic and the spell slots received and spells for that matter from spell casting, they don't cross over. They don't mess with each other. And so you don't have to consult that table over in multi-classing and feats in the player's handbook. Mm. They get to be separated, but you can still cast spells from one class with the other class of spell slots and vice versa. Huh. Right. It's not entered into the multi-class spellcasting calculation, but they're still transferable. Is there any specific reason why they decided to like segregate this one from all of the other styles for this? 
Yes, there is actually. So basically, when you get packed magic, this is that fraction of the otherworldly patron's power being granted to you, but it works different than every other thing. You get, you know, two cantrips to start out with. Um, you and if you look at the spell slots, though, for uh, your warlock, you have a number of spells known, just like bards and sorcerers, and then you have how many spell slots you have at level one you have one spell slot which is way less than most spell casting characters mm -hmm. and then levels two through ten you have two spell slots two through ten two through ten and then 11 through 16 you have three spell slots Ooh, fancy and then 17 through we've almost caught up with the level one wizard <laughs> mm -hmm. 17 to 20 you have four spell slots now the two things that are interesting about this is that most of the time um your spell slots don't come back to your character once you've used them until you take a long rest right mm -hmm. so you know six to eight hours of sleeping or light activity the warlock gets them back at a short rest they take an hour and eat a sandwich they get all of their spell slots back and then the second thing is, is you don't have to pick what level a spell is cast at because all your spell slots are always the same level of spell slot. So for example, at level two, you have two spell slots and they're both a level two spell slot. At level seven, you have two spell slots and they're both level four spell slots. Hmm. Which you obviously, like, as we know, you could use to cast any level up to uh -huh. that number. Exactly. So a lot of their spells are concentration and a lot of their, so they can last longer. And a lot of their spells have specific text that says, and if you cast a spell at a higher level, it does X, Y, and Z. Usually more damage or, or can target multiple people. And so it's like, yeah, you only have two spell slots, but they're all level four or five or whatever. Um, and so it just, it's one of the biggest ways that the Warlock is different is it's not very wide, but it's very deep, right? They don't have mm -hmm. a large range, but what they do, they do really, really well. So that's what they do. And then they have something else that we'll get to in a second called invocations, which are even more wild. So we're just going to dive into all of the crazy shenanigans that are just like run of the mill, normal warlocks. Right. Well, that, that helps makes a little bit more sense as to why the, uh, the spells aren't cross compatible, right? Mm -hmm. Because the levels change as your level changes, like the spell level changes potentially as your spell level is your character level increases or your class level increases, um, which would make switching those really difficult. Um, and so that it still makes the whole thing confusing, but that clarifies why those two don't play nice together. Exactly. Yeah. So they chose to go with a very different kind of magical magic scheme for the warlock, which makes sense thematically, but mechanically, yeah, you, you don't want to cross those streams because that would get really confusing really fast and it's already a little confusing i have to often 
like go back and look one more time yeah that works the way i thought it did because it's it's a little weird okay so now that we've talked a little bit about pack magic um let's move on to what happens as we continue to level our character up we're going to rewind like we usually do towards the end of the episode to like talk about your patron and some other stuff a deep dive into um the flavor that your character gets from what is essentially your subclass so let's just finish out talking through as you level up the standard array of what you get and that's probably not the right wording because that implies <laughs> something else but what you get as you go and keep adventuring and keep earning xp as your character right all all the factory defaults for your, mm -hmm. your warlock. <laughs> uh so then they get something called eldritch invocation uh, invocations and these i always describe them as is typically passive, always on powers. And there's a massive list that they've only expanded over the years for the different books of things that you can pick. Some of them have prerequisites like who your patron is or have level prerequisites, but the vast majority don't. And so they will typically do things that uh, like um, one of the most popular, for example, it's called Agonizing Blast. And, and the chart that explains your spell slots also has how many evocations you know. And that kind of goes up to okay. a max of uh, eight evocations and you start out with two evocations at level two. Uh, so the one of the most, uh, kind of the favorite one is the very first one, Agonizing Blast. And the prerequisite is you have to know the Elder's Blast cantrip, that makes sense. And when you cast it, you can add your charisma modifier to the damage on a hit. And there are very few things in D&D 5e that let you add a bonus to damage to a cantrip. So if you're doing standard array or point by or heck probably most likely even if you're doing um, uh, rolling, you know, uh, 46 drop the lowest, it's really easy to have a 16 for your starting charisma. So that means that your Eldritch Blast cantrip that doesn't run out is going to do 1d10 plus 3 damage every time. So explain, like you have, rewind a little bit. Sure. You said you have two of these starting out? Two evocation, invocations, yes. So, but it's not, like, it's not like a spell slot where you have two nope. uses of something. These, these are, you have, like, it's like all... having two different cars that you can like drive or something uh, right they both exist it's it's more they're like there think with of it, you. yeah they're they're always on passive abilities that you just have okay so think about it like how it's almost like you're getting a new racial trait uh from character creation right like so okay. you know how when you look at elf it says that they have that they uh are resistant to charm and they can't be put to sleep mm-hmm you that's not a spell slot you have to cast that's just a thing that's true about you these invocations as a warlock are now just new things that are true about you and they just happen for the most part okay so it's not a cantrip Correct. it's not a spell it's, it's just, just like feature. you're exuding the ability to do this at will mm -hmm. anytime yes. doesn't run out right and there are uh, a couple of other ones, like the very next one called Armor of Shadows, and this is a pretty typical construction as well, where it's always available, but you have to choose to use it. Um, Armor of Shadows says you can cast the spell Mage Armor on yourself at will 
without expending a spell slot or material components. So it basically makes this first level spell a cantrip for you. Okay. In a sense. So it's, it's, it's always active. That choice is always there, but you still have to make that choice. And there's other things like, you know, uh, casting this guy's self and levitate and speak with animals and all that kind of stuff. Again, just at will without spending a spell slot. So this is another way that they make up for um, the very minuscule amount of spell slots, even though they recharge on a short rest. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. So that, I mean, it makes sense with this being just like the class that it is, but that has already given a pretty wide berth to possibilities or usages or magic use. The customization of this class is credible. I love it. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense because if you're borrowing essentially Mm -hmm. magic from somebody else, it makes sense that it would seem really um, patchworked together. Yes. Because you're not you're not taking everything at once, right? You're you're taking a little of this, a little of that, and those things don't necessarily go together by themselves because you yes. don't get the whole picture. So looking at it that way, uh, you know that that kind of makes sense too. It's still weird and confusing, and I feel like as a player, this would be so hard to keep track of. Maybe it's not, but it, it adds an interesting way to modify this character. Yeah, absolutely. And warlocks are, are fan favorites. People love warlocks as just mains as well as uh, multi-classing elements. Uh, but it's one of those classes where if I, I have a brand new player to the game who wants to be a warlock, I will try to give them extra attention and, and help because it is, I, I, want, I don't want to call it an advanced class because it feels like I'm trying to you know dissuade people from playing the class, but it just has a lot of moving it's more parts. Involved. It's more involved, has a lot of moving parts, and so it's going to require extra attention, either from the player or from the player in the DM, as they help them do that. I think um, uh, for narrative reasons, the ranger is also similar in that way. Mm -hmm. And so that all happens, so that's at level two. two. So that's your level two bump, is that you get the Eldridge uh, invocations. Right. Um, which is, I mean, powerful just for like a level two, cause you usually get to level two pretty quick. And I feel like your, your level one is going to get you to your level two pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and then that's a fairly significant bump at that point. Um, and then at level three, things kind of keep coming at us. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when you reach level three. Uh, level three is where you get your packed boon, which is the other kind of half of your subclass, um, though there are certainly some boons in there. I think there's, there's like four or five, uh, one, two, three, uh, four, uh, wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Four. There's four of them. Um, and, uh, there certainly are some things in there that seem to have, uh, thematic sympathy with certain patrons, but they don't have to. These are things you truly can mix and match according to the way you conceive of your character and the story that you're telling with this character. Um, but uh, we will talk about those here in a minute uh, when we go back to the subclasses, I think is probably the best way to do that. Um, but uh, again, like I said before, these are kind of like the physical representation of your um, agreement with this otherworldly patron. And usually just to kind of give a brief overview of that, 
Um, it's usually magical related, right? You're going to get oh, more, yes. more casting or like not necessarily even spells, but something of a magical nature um, that is going to, to continue to surge that, uh, that magic that you're borrowing through you. It just, it's going to channel it through a specific way. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that those levels one, two, and three, I think are where like the majority of the warlock happens, but it, your, your, um, increases your improvements don't actually end there. Obviously you've got 20 levels to go through as a character. Um, so what happens after those first three levels, when you kind of like pump up the magic in your warlock, what do you continue to get along your adventuring way for and up? Yeah, so uh, at level four, you're going to get your ASI, your ability score improvement, again at eighth level, again at 12th, uh, 16th, and 19th, which is pretty standard. Um, it's uh, kind of the, the bare minimum of ASIs. Um, but then with your kind of stock warlock, you get this kind of cool feature that I really, really like called Mystic Arcanum or Arcanum. Um, and what's cool about that is that if you look back on the chart with all of your abilities by level uh, for the warlock, you'll see that your spell slots end, don't get any more powerful than level five, which feels like, oh no, I'm going to be in real trouble if I were to play a tier three or tier four adventure and have those higher levels. This is where Mystic Arcanum uh, comes into play. So you get one of these at level 11, 13, 15, and 17. And what it does is you basically at level 11 you get a sixth level spell uh from the warlock spell list because the warlock spell list does have sixth seventh eighth and ninth spell levels um and you can cast it once without spending a spell slot and then you get it back on a long rest and so it's how you get your high level spells keeping in with the theme that warlocks have very few spell slots this is how they chose to do that top tier spells so that you're not casting all your first level spells at ninth level because all now all of your spell level, all of your spell slots are ninth level and they cap at five and then you get one cool thing from sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth level spell slots. This feels a little bit like a whoopsie like mechanic where they're like, oh. Well, the way we structured this is problematic, guys. We we have to nerf this somehow. Like, what yes. if we just made a feature that does this? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because if they had kept that kind of scheme going, it would have wrecked it. And just to not give higher level spells to a a a predominant main spell casting class would be mm-hmm. weird. Because they're not like you know half casters like the. Uh, like the paladin and ranger are where they don't get cantrips typically and they kind of cap out at level five for spell slots i think this is a full caster class so what do we do and this is their solution and i, I kind of like it actually it, it makes a lot of sense it's not an extra spell slot it's just a free spell without having to spend a slot at a high level um and then at level 20 the capstone ability is the eldritch master um and basically what that does is that you can spend a minute uh kind of communing bargaining talking to your patron and you can regain all of your expended spell slots uh for the day and you can't use this ability uh until you take a long rest so not only can you take a uh short rest get all your spot your slots back 
At level 20, you can just take a single minute and get all your slots back, but only once per day. It seems like the like rich girl that's going to daddy being like, daddy, I maxed uh-huh. out my credit card, but I really, really, really want to buy this thing. Can you just give me one of your other credit cards, please? <laughs> like, yes. okay, fine, but just this once. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is why I started the top of this is that they have an eldred sugar daddy and they're a sugar baby. And because that's <laughs> a little on the nose there, Wizards of the Coast, but I, I'm here for it. You know, so that's exactly right. It, it's like the movie Clueless. Uh, so yeah, pretty much. Uh, if I remember right too, I think we were saying it was Tasha's that has uh, some yes. amendments to um, the Warlock where it's not necessarily um, like its own additional subclass. Because again, these subclasses are a little bit different than we've seen before, but um, kind of like... A, presenting more optional rules that if your DM allows them, if your DM acknowledges Tasha's as a legitimate source of information, however <laughs> you want to word that, um, I love it. that uh, there is some other ways that you can use some of these um, level up steps, right? Exactly. So like with everything with Tasha's, you can choose not to use it if you don't want to, but it is rules as written. It is an official source uh, and it opens up more spells as being classified as warlock spells. Uh, it also gives you a new pack boon option, that fourth one I was mentioning called Pact of the Talisman. And then also at fourth level, and every time you get an ASI, you can switch out um, some of your cantrips. Uh, also, it lets you change what boon you chose. So if you had Pact of the Blade, but you'd rather have Pact of the, t- uh, the Tome now, you could do that every time you have an ASI. And that's not in, in lieu, lieu of, of, yeah, it's, it's not, not in lieu of, it's just another thing that happens at ASI. Oh, I thought it was instead of, not oh, so in addition you, to. So you could pick a feat and change out your pack, your pack boom. I mean, that's handy. Cause then you can pick something that works really well with whatever feat you might've chosen or like, you know, cause normally mm-hmm. it, it's hard. Cause as a player, you have to walk that line between do I meta game and think about like plotting a really well-built character that runs mm-hmm. well together? Or do I play it in game and just level up in a way that makes sense for the character and the situation they're in, um, which can sometimes make, make skills and abilities that don't work together and makes the character kind of clunky. Um, and so this option lets you play the character as the character would unfold but still kind of massage it into something really cohesive. Exactly. And also too, it helps kind of codify what I think a lot of DMs would do anyway, where they're all, hey, I kind of want to switch out my cantrips. I've never used this one. Can I redo that? And they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Because it, you didn't, you know, you, you thought things were going to go a different way. And even changing your pack boon, I could see that argument, but having rules like this that give you kind of guidance as a DM is really, really helpful as well. Uh, also, this new rule in Tasha's lets you change out your Mystic Arcanum. Uh, if uh, every time you have an ASI, in case you're like, oh, I just chose poorly. I thought the spell did something different. I'd like to pick something else, please. Uh, and again, that's just, uh, I think it's kind of fun because it's about co- renegotiating the terms it's the of the arrangement. Yeah. But I don't alter the deal further. Um, so, yeah, it's the businessman, yeah. basically. I mean, like that would be a really fun build is like this is essentially like a businessman yeah. who's just like negotiating agreements and contracts. <laughs> yeah. At the end, remind me, you usually ask me, you know, like favorite builds and stuff to remind to to tell the story of my favorite warlock build I've ever seen in my whole life. Uh, I'll do it at the, at the end because it's it's pretty great. <laughs> cool. 
Um, okay, so that is your sort of missing a lot of big plot holes and gaps level one through 20 warlock um you i mean people can tell right off the bat that your level one through 20 um basic build is not bad but it, it's definitely very unimpressive compared to what we've it's seen missing. with a lot of other classes and that's right. because the majority like i'd say at least 80 percent 70-80% of what you get that makes your warlock so powerful is going to come from your patron and it's going to come from that packed boon, um, which as, is as that well like as, two installment program of like act now right. and for only two payments of $29.99, you too can be a warlock. Um, yeah, you'll get a slap shot <laughs> for free, um, uh, which is what I'm going to call uh, uh, chill touch now. Um, but uh, the also to the evocation, the invocations that you get as you level up, um, as well, also further flavor and power your warlock as well. But you're right, uh, the stuff you typically see in that kind of stock unsubclassed uh, class is missing because it's other places. So again, the right. warlock just breaks breaks all the conventions. So let's rewind a little bit back to level one Ooh. and look at the first installment of the warlock and where they get a lot of their power from, which is their patron. Right. So uh, there's a lot of really cool patrons uh, that give you a lot of really great narrative uh, and backstory uh, options. Uh, the first one is the Archfey. So um, this is, if you're a fan of Shakespeare, you already know a lot about the Fey. You know, there's Oberon and uh, Titiana. Uh, Prince of Fools, all this kind of stuff. Anything from kind of like the LV, Elvish kind of Feywild and stuff from A Midsummer's Night Dream is in there. And uh, when you pick them, they give you additional uh, spells that are also now considered warlock spells for you. Uh, you don't just get them, you just have access to them now. Um, unlike, you know, like how a cleric might just give you extra spells. Um, their big thing is that uh, like all fey based things is that you can kind of charm or frighten people. So at level one, as an action, you can basically uh, make people do a wisdom saving throw. And if they fail, they're either all charmed or frightened by you. Um, uh, you get Misty Escape at level six, where you can like just, you can just teleport. You just vanish in a puff of smoke. Uh, when you take damage as a reaction, you turn invisible, teleport 60 feet, uh, and you stay invisible until it's your next turn. You're just like, nope, no, thank you, bye, and you're gone. Um, and uh, there's a lot of like charming effects going on in here, and their big thing at level 14 is Dark Delirium, uh, where you can, as an action, pick a creature. If they fail their wisdom save, they're going to be charmed or frightened noticing the theme um and uh they're kind of wrapped up in an illusion uh kind of a vecna thing going on if you've been watching stranger mm, things yeah um they think that they're lost in this like misty realm with an appearance that you choose so if you want to put them in a creepy doll factory or in you know the at the in the, their second grade uh classroom with that teacher they really hated they can totally do that um and the creature can't see anything but the illusion. Uh, and uh, you can kind of lock someone down that way and put them in kind of their worst uh, 
realized dream or their charm and they think they're sitting on a beach somewhere drinking a mimosa and they forgot that they were in the middle of a fight what was i doing again i don't remember right well i was just gonna say like is this kind of like the i mean it's illusionary so is it kind of like if you had a vr goggles on and like if you put somebody in this scary environment that they could as an enemy actually still inflict damage on the party or their comrades if they're like flailing around trying to fight the monsters in the evil wood that you put them in right it doesn't actually take them out of where they are they just see exactly. something that's not there and they might still try to fight it or yeah, it's, it's, if it's, it's a, a nice environment yeah. they might lay down which would give you advantage on right. attacking them so that would be fun as like a dm to like maybe have like a random roll table or something to Absolutely. be like is this going to cause problems or be helpful for you <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, now they do pop out of it if they take damage, but there's nothing in here about them accidentally hurting someone else. So that's kind of great. <laughs> um, then next up, you have the Celestial. Uh, again, this is like something from the upper planes, you know, uh, a solar, a uh, an angel, something like that. Um, it even points out unicorn, although I just, I don't know how I feel about that. I kind of already poo-pooed the unicorn earlier but oh well um basically it's uh not a deity but it's like their uh assistants have chosen (laughs) to help you out in some way um because you know they're like hey we want you to be the change we want to see in the world we're not going to do it i'm god's secretary he sent me with a message and i'm supposed to make sure you're set up with whatever you need to finish this or it's like Roz from monsters inc all right here's elder's blast Make sure you file your paperwork. Yeah, I think that's pretty great. So with them, again, expanded spell list, including Cure Wounds, which is great. Um, and they also give you bonus cantrips of Light and Sacred Flame, which are typically from cleric lists. Uh, you also get this kind of cool thing where you have a pool of D6s as you level up that you can use to heal yourself and others like you makes, were a monk or a paladin. Yeah, it makes sense um, again with the like, you know, celestial kind of magic. Yeah, exactly. Like, can you imagine if you were an SMR who has the healing touch as well as this called healing light, and then you multi-class into something like Paladin, which is also a charisma caster or divine soul sorcerer, which is also a charisma caster, right? Okay, we'll get to that later. Uh, so it's pretty great. Um, then they also let you, t- uh, give you later on resistance to, to radiant damage uh, and let you do extra damage on your hits. And then their capstone is called Searing Vengeance, um, which kind of gives you an idea that this would be a great patron for a revenge-based character, you know? Uh, not like, let's redeem all of the evildoers rather than let, let's, you know, let's destroy all the evildoers. Uh, maybe there's a misguided angel uh, going on here. Uh, I mean, it kind of reminds me again of Kanchu, right? Coming back to the moonlight, it's the whole, yeah. like, we need, you're, you're going to protect people and you're going to punish the, the wrongdoers. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Um, basically, if you have to make a death saving throw, uh, you can instead just spring to your feet with a burst of energy regain hit points equal to half your hit point maximum. Uh, and you stand up if you want to for free. And then every creature around you in 30 feet takes radiant damage equal to 2d8 plus your constitution modifier. And they're blinded till the end of the current turn. So I see so, this being like a Beauty and the Beast moment where Beast is like raised up in this celestial light yes. <laughs> and like brought back to life because the, the deity is like, oh no, not today. 
I yeah. still need you. You haven't finished what I need you to do yet. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. No, that's that really is it. And then everyone takes damage because of it. It's it's pretty rad. It's a cool visual image, I, I think, very much so. Um, then uh, we also have the Fathomless, uh, which has to do with a pact with some kind of creature or being from the depths of the deep of like the ocean and things. Um, a Kraken would be a great example of this from the elemental plane of water, uh, things of that nature. Isn't there like and, a Titan or something for like the, like a, yes. the ocean? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember what, what they're called, but yeah, like one of the uh, the Titans who are the progenitors Gargantuan of- Gargantuan like, creature. Oh, like Poseidon and stuff, uh -huh. yeah. Exactly. Uh, also, if you're a Critical Role fan, uh, uh, Kuatoa is called out in this listing as well, uh, which is uh, Fjord's um, uh, otherworldly patron uh, in Critical Role Camping shiny. too. Mm -hmm. um, expand the spell list. Tentacles of the Deep. Uh, you can make spectral tentacles, uh, kind of like how a cleric can with a, uh, a spiritual weapon. Um, and you can make a 10 foot long tentacle that at a point you can see within 60 feet of you. And it can attack, it does cold damage, uh, it slows people down, uh, the damage increases at 10th level uh, from the tentacles, kind of like a cantrip does, uh, and uh, you can move the tentacles around. So a way of bringing more targets and hits onto the battlefield, which is always kind of fun. Um, you get a swimming speed of 40 feet, and now you can breathe underwater. Um, you get resistance to cold damage later on. Um, and as long as you're fully submerged, uh, any creature that's also fully submerged can understand your speech and you can understand theirs. Which is wild because the way that's written is it's not like, oh, I can talk to fish, that's great. But if a minotaur that only speaks minotaur and you are both submerged Put underwater- Put your head in the water. <laughs> we, you can understand something. each other. Yeah, exactly. Here. You would need such a good persuasion role to be like, I swear, I'm not trying to drown you right now. I just want to talk underwater. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can breathe underwater. They can't. So, oh well, um, it's kind of wild. It's, it's really funny. Uh, their capstone is the fathomless plunge. Uh, you can temporarily open a magic uh, conduit to watery destinations. You can teleport you and five other willing creatures. Five. Um, Average adventuring party size on the larger mm -hmm. size. Mm, yeah, convenient. Yes. Party up, up, up to six. I like that. Um, a whirlpool of tentacles. You vanish and then all reappear appear up to a mile away within a body of water that you have seen uh, before. Uh, pond size or larger, like a moat of a castle. Um, and uh, you appear in an occupied space within 30 feet. Um, and you can use this once per short or long rest. Reminds me a little bit of... Uh the magician's nephew mm -hmm. right the the water yeah. ponds that lead to different worlds like obviously this is within a mile but that concept of like wait yeah. am i dry am i wet like <laughs> that weird what just happened uh exactly and i don't think you have to start in water to do it just like this like so to be near water yeah this like whirl of tentacles just appear you jump into the tentacle pool and pop out in the actual place. It's too bad it has to be pond size because you could do the opposite of the Jack Sparrow. Be like, I've got a jar of water. And you just like put it places strategically. Yeah, <laughs> like that is exactly zones. why they made that requirement. You know it is. <laughs> you know during playtest someone. Uh-huh. Like, like, like doing the high dive. Sorry, a horse a came water. by and drank it. It's not there anymore. 
Well, technically, it's in the the horse. Would you like to teleport to the horse's stomach? Okay, yeah. See, it goes bad really fast. Um, <laughs> then we have the classic, uh, the one that started it all, the fiend. Uh, this is someone from the lower planes, devils, and um, and things of that nature. Uh, Demigorgon, Orcus, Bahamut, uh, Arch Devils, Asmodeus, um, any of the lords of the nine hells, which are not gods but are close enough to absolutely be patrons. Uh, they get expanded spell lists, um, and uh, the first thing you get is the Dark One's Blessing. So whenever you uh, reduce a, a hostile creature to zero hit points, you gain temporary hit points equal to your Charisma modifier plus your Warlock level. Um, uh, you get the Dark One's own luck, noticing a theme. Uh, ability checks and saving throws, you can add a D10 to your roll, uh, kind of like a Bard does. And then their final one, uh, the capstone at level 14 is Hurl Through Hell. I think I saw that movie. Um, you can hit a creature with an attack and you can use this feature to instantly transport the target to the lower planes. They disappear in a hurdle to a nightmare landscape. So this is a real thing that's happening as opposed to the Arch Bay one where they just think it's happening. Until the end of your next turn, um, they're there and then they pop back into where they were previously or the nearest unoccupied space um and if the target isn't a fiend already which like i think a um a uh i i think a tiefling would probably count for this uh but if it's not a fiend they take 10 d10 psychic damage when they come back uh because of the horrific experience and you can do I mean, that once, yeah. a, once a day yeah uh, yeah so that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah it reminds just... me of the Divine Comedy too, like the six circles of, of hell, like just mm -hmm. sending them to one. Exactly. Hey, uh, your screen froze. Oh, Do you... I'm okay on my side. Okay. Oh, there you go. You popped. Yeah, pop it back. There we go. Better? There we go. Awesome. Cool. Didn't know if that mattered okay. to you. Um, there's a lot of these. I'm going to go faster. Then there's the Genie, which is one of the newest ones, um, where... Yep, sure enough, a genie is your is your uh, patron. Um, but remember, genies in um, in D and D typically are more elementally based, uh, as opposed to some of the other uh, mythoses. Um, and you can pick a um, a gen of or a genie of different elements. So, like the gen, the free, the uh, the mared, the dao. Uh, expand a spell list based on which one you pick of those four, uh, and then you get a vessel, the thing that like you know, like a lamp. Uh, or it could even be a ring with a compartment or a stoppered bottle or a hollow statue. Um, and uh, that is your spell casting focus now, which is kind of cool. And uh, you get something called Bottled Respite, where just like I Dream of Genie or Aladdin, you can basically just pop yourself into that spell casting focus for a period of time based on your level. Um, and you're like safe inside, everything's fine. Um, and so, so you could have, you know, someone carry that around for you. Yeah, and I was just going to say a, like dimension door, like uh -huh. you get like a free person. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and like, if you were, yeah, like if you have a party member that has to like meet up with a bad guy, but come alone, like the druid turned into a chipmunk and is hanging out in the cloak of the, of the person you're inside your genie bottle. So, you know, you can bring the whole team with you. They don't want know it. Uh, and this pop out at the right moment, which is kind of fun. Yeah. It's like a DM note. You'd have to decide if you want it, the object to weigh more than 10 pounds. Cause otherwise people could mage hand the heck out of yeah, that conveniently you can, you can wind i'm up just gonna put you over these terrible traps so then you can design them or <laughs> mm -hmm. like sorry it weighs 12 pounds 
you can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a 12 pound bottle. Take that. Um, and then also too, it kind of gives you a, a reaction of uh, elemental damage when someone hits you. Um, and then the, this is great. The uh, capstone ability is called limited wish um, where you can basically beg your patron for a small wish. Uh, and limited wish used to be a thing in D&D way back. So it's not um, like the wish spell, right? We're, no. we're separating so, these things. Right, limited wish. So as an action, you can speak your desire into the genie's vessel. So you're whispering into a bottle. Um, I really want all the chocolate in the world. Um, and you can request the effect. You request the effect of one spell that is sixth level or lower and has a casting time of one action. Uh, and it can be from any class list. Wow. Just, and then it just happens. Um, and then you can't reuse this unless you finish 1d4 long rests. Mm. So this way really is to very need limited. It. Yeah, it, it's important. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Uh, a few more left here. So then we have the great old one. It's Cthulhu. Let's, let's not mince words. It's Cthulhu. Um, who does get name checked in the description. Expanded spell list. Uh, this one's a fun one. It, it's, it's in the original player's handbook, which is really cool. But you get awakened mind. Basically, you, can you gain telepathy up to 30 feet. And you don't have to share a language, which is really a lot of fun. Because we've seen a couple of ways to get telepathy, like Ghostwise, uh, Halflings, and others. But this is one of the original ways to do it, which is really, really great. Um, you get like a, a shield kind of spell uh, to help you resist damage. Uh, and then in level 14, you get create thrall. Um, you can infect a humanoid's mind with alien magic of your patron. Um, you can touch a incapacitated human, void, uh, so if they're asleep or something. Uh, then the creature is charmed until a remove curse spell is cast on it. The charm condition um, uh, basically lasts until then. You communicate telepathically with that uh, creature as long as the two of you are on the same plane of existence. So that's fun. You just Great. take the leader of the army with mm -hmm. you. Just yeah, tell them just, yeah. yeah, wow, yeah. It's a great party trick. Um, Hexblade is kind of an unusual one because your patron is the blade itself, a sentient magic weapon. Um, in D&D mythology, Black Razor is a really well-known one. Um, it's a legendary sword, uh, and it basically was like, you know, formed in the Shadowfell and did, you know, all this evil stuff. But this one's kind of interesting. You get expanded spell list, and then you get the Hexblade's Curse, where basically, because you hold this weapon, you can curse someone. As a bonus action, uh, you can curse the target for a minute, uh, no save, and uh, it ends early if uh, the target dies, you die, or you're incapacitated, and you gain bonus damage to the cursed target equal to your proficiency bonus. Um, critical hits uh, are now 19 or 20, and if the uh, target dies, you regain hit points equal to your warlock level plus your con modifier. And wow. you use it uh, per short or long rest. Um, and then uh, you can also kind of uh, uh, channel your um, the, this bargain into any weapon, really. Although typically, I think most dungeon masters would like say, hey, this magic weapon, you're going to get at first level because it's your, it's your hex blade basically, and mm -hmm. it gives you some extra bonuses. 
and then the capstone ability is master of hexes at level 14 um you can spread your curse from a slain creature to another creature so kind of like how hunter's mark will let you move mm -hmm. it to someone else uh, you can apply the curse to a different creature within 30 feet and uh but you don't regain the hit points um from the previously cursed uh creature so now you can move your curse but you miss out on a few things uh and then two left the undead um Vecna would be a great one for this for sure a Sararak, uh tons of different things basically you made a pact with a deathless being that defies the cycle of life and death um expand the spell list the dread form like so if you want to be a necromancer this is the thing for you basically um uh, you can basically transform into your dread form for a minute uh you gain temporary hit points of 1d10 plus warlock level uh, if you hit a creature with an attack roll, you make them make a wisdom save, and if they fail it, they're frightened till the next turn, and you're immune to the frightened condition yourself. Uh, you can um, you can do extra necrotic damage later on, and then level 14, your capstone is spirit projection, where you basically can astral project and leave your physical form behind uh, as an action and your body goes limp, goes unconscious, and um, and you can do it for up to an hour or until concentration is broken. Um, your spirit and your body gain resistance to BPS, not just non-magical, just all BPS. Um, you can cast a spell of conjuration or necromancy um, uh, a lot easier. You have a fly speed now. Uh, you can go through creatures and objects, and uh, you regain, which, okay, wait. When you deal necrotic damage to a creature, you gain regain hit points equal to half the amount of necrotic damage you dealt. So you can go out to the battlefield, leave your old body behind, and kind of wreck it. it can be really hard to hit, and you're healing your old body at the same time. And you can do that nice. once per long rest. Yeah, so that's kind of wild. Um, and then the last one is the Undying, which I think uh, our analogy earlier from um, uh, Moon Knight is really applies. Uh, death holds no sway over your patron uh, who has unlocked the secrets of everlasting life. Um, and basically they're keeping you alive until your, uh, your job is done, which is absolutely the whole Mark Spector arc from Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. Expanded spell list, uh, you gain the cantrip Spare the Dying. Um, uh, undead have difficulty harming you. Uh, sixth level, uh, you can regain hit points uh, when you succeed on a death saving throw or stabilize a creature with Spare the Dying, which is kind of fun. Um, you get advantage on overcoming disease and then at level 14 uh indestructible life when you reach 14th level you partake of some of the true secrets of the undying on your turn you can use a bonus action to regain hit points equal to 1d8 plus your warlock level that's a lot uh, additionally if you put a severed body part of yours back into place when you use this feature the part reattaches and you can do that once per short or long rest that's oddly specific oddly specific who hurt you wizards of the coast who hurt you <laughs> and that's everything from the patrons but i think we do need to go back and talk real quickly about the pack boons um there's only four of them right um in short uh there is the uh pact of the blade uh which basically lets you act a little bit more like a fighter 
Uh, it becomes a magic weapon. Uh, you can kind of use almost any weapon as your packed weapon uh, and you're proficient with it now, even if it's not simple. Um, and you can have it uh, um, like shunt it off into an instrument, interdimensional space and like summon it to you. So you always can have it kind of like an Eldritch Knight. Um, and then there's a lot of uh, the invocations that will also kind of bump with that. Um, and you can also kind of mix and match that with Hexblade as well to get even more powerful, which is kind of fun. Uh, Pact of the Chain gives you a special familiar, like a wizard would, um, with better forms, like an imp, a pseudo dragon, a closet, or sprite, depending on your patron. Uh, it seems pretty obvious, um, and you can even attack with it, which is something you can't do normally with a familiar. So this is like, kind of think of it like the deep, the little like uh, beginner demon that hangs out with you to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to, like your, your chaperone. But not yeah. quite, more useful mm -hmm. than Mushu. Uh, maybe um but yeah like mushu exactly uh pact of the tome you get like a uh you, you basically get the necronomicon and it gives you a bunch more uh cantrips from any spell list um and you can cast them whenever you want of course and you can always get it back if it gets destroyed and then in uh tasha's you get the uh uh the uh a genie bottle basically what's it called i'm looking it up right now um uh, packed boom. Where is it? Uh, I'm so sorry. Where did this go? Yeah, packed of the talisman. Uh, so basically, it's the same thing from your genie patron, um, and you can get little bumps to your ability checks if if uh, you fail them. Um, and that's kind of it. So, you know, clearly meant to go with the, the pact of the, the uh, patron, the genie patron, but it could work with anything. Uh, you have your own little like hellscape inside of a bottle or something. Uh, if you have the fiend or whatever it is, but yeah, that's kind of basically what that is. Uh, pact of the talisman. So those are the second tier of what you get for your subclass with the warlock that can either mix and match your powers or work with your patron and the kind of intention that they have. So to end off the episode, let's I, I want to circle back around to the favorite uh, warlock build that you have ever seen uh, to give people a sampling of what you could potentially do with this or ways that you could make it really memorable is obviously this particular uh, example is. So they asked, this is a friend of mine, they asked if they could have their patron be a essential oil multi-level marketing scheme. And that their arcane focus was a bottle of essential oils. They chose mechanically the great old one, which I thought was hilarious, but basically they got more power as they got more people into their like umbrella and funnel in the multi-level marketing scheme. And we're always trying to like heal people using essential oils. And they did it all mechanically correct. Just the flavor they threw on top of that. They're like, yeah, I get my power by being part of this essential oils MLM. <laughs> I thought was just the best thing ever. And it was so buck wild. I, I think about it way more than I should. So yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. You can have a lot of fun with warlocks. Definitely, you have to do your reading if you're going to play a warlock and get all of your <laughs> stuff together because there are so many mechanics that 
interweave where you're going to be layering effects from one one um, increase that you got onto another, like your patron versus your boon versus like maybe a feat or other things you have. Um, so definitely have fun building one, have fun playing one, but make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row before yes. you start that process so that you feel fully equipped to bring this character to life in the best way possible. And remember, you can always ask for help. If you don't have enough dice to make it through your game after every single set gets put in dice jail, make sure you check out the critical dice and their endless bag of dice. You can get a new set of dice delivered to your doorstep every single month for as low as seven bucks a month. Compendium listeners can actually also get a special offer by using the code Compendium, C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, for 50% off of your first month of dice. Just go to thecriticaldice.com and use that code at checkout. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation this week. If you haven't done so already, it would really help us out if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. The Compendium is also on Patreon. So if you like listening, that is a great way to help contribute to the content that we create. New episodes are available every Tuesday and Friday or Monday and Thursday if you're a patron. And you can always keep up with us between episodes by following us on social media. Just look up the compendium, that's C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Jason also shares a bunch of great content and plot hooks on his page, The Critical Dice, so make sure that you check him out and follow him as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you guys next time.